Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Paul is writing to Timothy. I was going to find it in this scripture reference because I do like the way this Bible says it. But we'll read it in King James and then we'll read it in my version here. And I, I believe that you're going to see some some good things from that. Let's read from the King James on the screen together. Ready? Go. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Next verse. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Next. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Next verse. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many Many sorrows. This verse is really important. Are you ready? Begin. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Next verse and we're done. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called and, and hast professed. Very good. Jesus, bless this sermon, this time together as we look into your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. It is wired into the human psyche, the desire to pursue something. It is built into us that we are not comfortable nor content to sit still. The human body was not designed to sit still. In fact, anything in the human body that stops coagulates and doesn't work. We are designed to move. And so therefore we are built to pursue something. Our forefathers of our nation understood this. And Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote the draft, he literally said in the wording of the Constitution that we were supposed to have the pursuit of happiness in our life. He said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are called, are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, everyone say life, everyone say liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit is such an important word, and I want to preach to you for a little while about the power of pursuit, the power of pursuit, because some of us have such inner turmoil that we don't understand that our turmoil can often come from what we're chasing. Because we may be after something we can, never, we can never get. And so we see that in verse 11 of chapter 6, that 
the scripture literally speaking here, Paul's final instructions to Timothy. He said, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. The previous list that he lists in chapter 6. He says, run from all those things. Pursue these things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. The words that we read in the King James are the words that I want to focus on because I want you to know that God even understands that we're built to chase down something. Each one of us, when we get uncomfortable, when we get an inner turmoil going on inside, when we don't exactly feel comfortable where we've been and we know that maybe there's just something more, that may be the Holy Ghost moving us to where we matter, amen? That may be the Holy Ghost pushing us out of a place called comfortable and into a place of struggle so that we can grow and we can strengthen ourselves through the battle, amen? And so what we find in the scriptures and what we find throughout all of time is that there is this one thing called contentment. Everyone, everyone say contentment. It is a word that is huge in the scriptures for we find out from the very beginning that Adam and Eve literally caused the fall of mankind and thereby all men have sinned by their decision because of discontentment. And really the enemy was very wise in planting the seeds of discontentment in the heart of Eve when he said, you will not surely die when you eat of the fruit of the tree, but you will know good from evil. In other words, what the Satan, what Satan planted in the form of a serpent in that garden long, long ago was the idea that God left something out that God doesn't give you everything that would make you happy, that there's something that you're missing. Someone say amen if the enemy's ever whispered that in your heart. Hey, there's something that you're not being involved with, that you're not allowed to do, something that's not that's a whole lot of fun and you're missing out. That is a lie from the gates of hell, amen. That is simply Satan trying to plant a seed of discontent in a human soul. And when that seed grows, it produces all kinds kinds of struggles, circumstances, and problems. And many of us have seen the, the reaping of that seed and that harvest has come home because we find people who are living with struggles and hurts and pains and circumstances and consequences of simply not being content and making a bad choice in their discontent. So the scripture is very real and Eve said, you know what, you're right, the, the fruit's beautiful to look at. There must be something there. They, she was discontented and she handed over to Adam and he was there watching the whole thing and maybe he chose, it seems though, as though in, in the theological understanding that he chose to eat and did not was not deceived and Eve was deceived. But I'm not here to talk about the nuances. I'm here to talk about the fact that discontentment got us what we have. And so therefore, it is the strongest message that can be preached from a pulpit that we need to learn how to be content. So we need to learn how to be content for discontentment destroys our life because discontentment will cause you to reach for things and try things that will hurt you and will cause to your life to be shortened and will cause pains and struggling and different things in your life because we know that the scripture tells us that the heart that is in turmoil can choose things unwisely and we understand an unwise decision is often a sin 
sin decision or a decision that leads to sin. And the scripture tells us that sin leads to death. And so some of us limp through life with dead portions of our spiritual man because we've made bad decisions off of our discontent. And we're nursing places that cannot get the flow of God's spirit because there's just no way to heal that area because it was just a dead decision. And the only thing you can do is cut it off and start over. And so some people, they don't hear the words when you talk about God can make all things new. And God can make all things good. He can take the bad things and make them good. Because sometimes in our life, we may have made decisions in moments of discontent that literally we don't see how God could ever make good out of that. We don't see how God could ever change that. And the emotion that goes with that causes oftentimes our heart to call AAA and get a wrecker. (laughs) <laughs> because we don't think it can be fixed. We, we call AAA in the way that we think that God has either abandoned us, number one A. He's either apathetic, he doesn't care, he's kicked the problem to the curb, you deal with it. It's your problem, you made the choice, you made your bed, you lie in it. Or God's angry with us. And our emotions can call AAA all the time, amen? And yet God is not angry, he is never apathetic. It's not in his nature to not be involved because he literally wrapped himself in flesh just to fix the discontent of our hearts. And so Paul, when he's wrapping up a writing to Timothy, Paul who knows what it's like to learn how to be content in very difficult situations. How many know the story of Paul? Paul was the original persecutor of the church. He was... He was what he thought was God's avenger, but he really wasn't. He was actually working against God. But Paul, throughout his life, changes from being the one attacking the church to the one attacking Satan in the world. And he literally takes on this one-man mission to win the world. He's like, I am going to save every last person I can get my hands on. And I'm going to do it by ship. I'm going to do it by travel. I'm going to do it by every possible means I can do it. And he spreads the gospel throughout Asia and all over the world in his day just because he literally wants God in everybody's life. And while he's doing all of these things, Paul contracts some sort of ailment. We don't know what it is. We don't know really what happened to him or how he got it some And most believe that it was something to do with his eyes. And it may have been something that you could visually see when he stood in front of you. Because the Bible said, I I, I wasn't powerful in presence when I came to you. But I was powerful in the anointing of the Holy Ghost in signs and wonders, Paul said. In one place, I paraphrase. But literally, so Paul is dealing with this. And Paul, it's not like, uh, you know, we're such comfort people. We're Americans. I mean, I watch my kids while, I'm, while, we're, while we're talking about Christmas and gifts. And they want all, almost all the gifts that my kids want are comfort driven. I want a Snuggie. <laughs> Lord, deliver us from Snuggies. 
I want a, a fuzzy blanket that's really warm and cozy. I want slippers that are really warm and cozy. I want new warm flannel pajamas that are... Everything is about comfort. In fact, in our minds, we already have processed that our goal in life is to be spoiled. If you have money and you have made success out of life, you get to be spoiled. Our goal is not conflict. We don't even really deal with heavy conflict in our lives really as Americans anymore. And Paul and these other disciples, they lived with conflict every day. It was their lifestyle was conflict. But we're so driven by comfort. Comfort is now the goal of an American. But in the church and in the gospel, conflict is always going to be there. It's built for the fight. And when you understand the word of God, you become fit for fighting. You become the person that is able to understand that I can be satisfied in God. I can have contentment in God, even though there may not be, I may not be content with all of my environment and all of my situations. Contentment really is a work of the Spirit because it causes a, a ceasing of striving and struggle on the inside of you even though you're fighting with everything you got to get through life. You're fighting circumstances and situations, trying to raise kids and trying to do the right thing in, 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 in life. And while you're doing all of this external fight, there's a rest on the inside of the Holy Ghost. And it's a contentment that only God can give. But the short circuit of that contentment is yours truly, in you. What you pursue can short circuit the Holy Spirit's work of contentment in your life. What you chase down. And so Paul literally says, here are the things you need to chase. Everyone say righteousness. From all the things you pursue, you need to chase these things. You need to chase righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? He who is as he ought to be really is what righteousness is. A person who's doing the right things according to God's plan. The condition of being acceptable to God, that's righteousness. And so if you're trying to be somebody you're not, you cannot be righteous. If you're just pretending or doing what others do or, or faking it, or maybe even you see somebody do something and you admire that, and I remember this because I used to do it. I watched a lot of preaching when I was young, and I watched how they would throw their handkerchief, you know, bless God, and, you know, and I thought that I would imitate some of that because I thought that was powerful preaching, and I was just drawn to it. But you know what? That wasn't where it was at. Because while I was trying to do something that I, I saw was good, I wasn't being right in and of the plan of God for me. And fortunately for us in this day and age, we've, have, we've, understand, we, we've come to understand that righteousness for each one of us needs to be something that God accepts for each one of us. And that's why we do have 
lifestyle convictions. And that's why we do have holiness and physical dress because we realize that there are some people that don't have those convictions because God, they are acceptable to God where they are. But if you stay with God very long, it becomes a maturity issue. And as you grow in maturity, God starts whispering in your spiritual ear saying, you need to step a little bit further and step a little bit further. And as you grow in him, you don't look backwards because that's not where you're going. You're going forwards in him, amen? So you don't, you, you don't have any time to look in the rearview mirror and worry about what somebody behind you is doing or where someone else is at in their walk with God because God wants to sanctify us. That's the word for holiness, mind, body, and spirit, holy, completely. So we realize that there is internal holiness. There is mental holiness. There is physical display of holiness because what he puts in the side of you always tries to get out. And I want to promise you this, that if you are righteous before God and you are living your life moving forward with God, that there is nothing that anybody can say to you on the day when you stand before Jesus because you have answered him in everything he says. But you know what? We must not compare ourselves one to another. It is unwise because if I compare my righteousness to your righteousness, I've just made myself a fake. And God does not want us to do that. So pursue righteousness. I want you to know that there's places in Scripture that the Scripture literally talks about. I use the word literally too much. I'm trying to remove it from my sermons. (laughs) For all those people that are atypical personalities and I'm driving you crazy with the word literal. There's another word, and it's called godliness. Everyone say godliness. I'm just going to walk my way through this because if you would put righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness into your life and make that your final pursuit and your only pursuit, there is nothing in this world that can, can, take, that can take contentment out of your heart. You will be the most contented person, Brother Steve. You will be the most contented person, Brother Ben, if you will pursue these six things and these six things alone. Because everything attaches to these six things. Your family life, the love of your loved ones. If you pursue agape, that's the love there, God's, God's love. If you pursue that, you will love your family with a love that they never even knew they could have from a father or a mother. Because it's flowing through you. So then the next one is godliness. That's to be like God. Or strive for godliness. To do what he wants us to do. The next one is faith, strong belief. It comes by the word, amen? Do you pray for more faith in your life? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, amen? And who shall hear unless they have a preacher? Did you know that the devil is attacking your preacher just as hard as he's attacking your faith? Let me give you a revelation real quick. Are you praying for your pastor? I sure hope you are because the devil will attack me as much as he's attacking your personal faith because I am the the vessel, thank God, I feel very blessed to be so. I am the vessel that gives the rhema word for which that scripture is talking about, the audible word of God coming through the vessel of the pastor giving faith to hearts. When I got up here and I began to talk about everyone singing in the Madison Square Gardens and the faith that was right, did you feel faith start to rise in your heart? Did you feel 
feel some excitement like our God is greater. Oh my goodness, he is bigger. He is more powerful. He is awesome and he is mighty. That kind of stuff comes through the word of God. And if God wants you to be strengthened, he'll make sure that I get to you or somebody gets to you with a word of faith. Amen? So you should pursue faith. And you should pray for your pastor. (laughs) Because I do need help on a regular basis. You should pursue love. How many are pursuing love in their marriage even when it's difficult? How many are pursuing love in your marriage even when it's difficult? I got a couple of you. Some are like, no, I don't think so today. You should have seen how this morning went getting here. You, it's so funny. That's that's such an old out analogy in the Pentecostal church where you fight all the way to the church, open the door, praise the Lord. You like put on a whole new mask, you know. But you have to do that. You have to do that. That's not being fake. That's saying that my problems with in my home don't deserve to be in the house of God. They don't deserve to come with me because I'm not pursuing my problems when I walk in the door. The reason why I go, hey, praise God, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and I put on a different face, even though I may have some struggles, is because I'm pursuing love for my brothers and sisters more than I'm pursuing my need to be understood in an argument, amen? I don't have that happen very often for me where I come to church. I mean, I go through Starbucks, get my little coffee. I'm a nice, comfortable American coming to church most mornings. But the thing is, I'm trying to communicate, is whenever you leave behind your struggles and your comfort and all the things that you want to do on a Sunday morning, and you come to the house of God, somebody help me preach here, and you come to the house of God, busted or disgusted, it don't matter. However you come to church, when you walk through those back doors, you need to take off the angry hat and start loving people and pursuing right and seeking after godliness and building somebody's faith, amen? And trying to be patient with yourself and with others. Patient, patient. Did you know that one definition of patience in this power of pursuit that I'm talking about is cheerful endurance? Cheerful endurance. I ran a race with Rob. And I didn't get enough endurance time. I didn't get enough training time. And me and Rob are running along, and I look kind of like a dead hippopotamus, you know. <laughs> but I'm trying to get to the finish line, and I got a bad, I, I got a bad foot, and I'm like just limping in. And he's running along with me, like, "Can we go now? Can we go now? Can we run faster? Can we go now?" And I can sense it in his spirit, and I love him for it. He's like, he ran like almost the whole race with me because he's such a great guy. And um, we got to the end, and I'm like, "Dude, don't even stay with me. Just go ahead." And he's like. All I saw was dust. There goes Rob. And he's like, Rrr. and um, he gets to the finish line and he runs back to me. That's how bad it was. <laughs> he ran all the way to the finish line, turned around. I'll go get past her. <laughs> and he came back. And I'm like running in like, you want to carry me now? <laughs> Can you carry me over the finish line? I didn't put enough time in, 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 in training so that I had enough endurance. Yeah, I had a physical issue, but... I don't know, that doesn't really matter. If I would have been able to do more endurance training, I would have done better in the race. I still came in, but I came in like, what, 157th? (laughs) 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 Had a little ribbon around my neck and my little medal, you know, and I'm like, awesome, I'm so good. 
I came in second to last. Woohoo! <laughs> Do you know that patience is actually defined as cheerful endurance? The ability to stay cheerful and endure in life. Mm, that's really good. I'll just tell you, that's really good. And the other definition is not to be swerved in purpose. You don't have the option to get your swerve on. <laughs> you don't because you need to stay on the straight and the narrow. Amen? You need to spend time with God making sure that your purpose is intact and that you have built endurance in the word of God. How many know Jesus is coming? This is not going to be a race that you're going to win just because you show up on race day. This is a race that you're going to win because you spend time building your spirit and building endurance in the word of God and making yourself a person who is pursuing patience. Amen? Pursuing endurance. And then our last word today that we have to pursue is meekness. Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Have you heard that? Moses was meek. Amen. But he was a powerful man of God. There's a lot of analogies I can make about weakness and meekness, but the one thing you have to understand is meekness is whenever you don't make people feel bad when they mess up but you point toward the God who can bring them home. That's my understanding of it, and there's, a, there's many different definitions of it. But I literally have decided in my mind that meekness is the, is the ability to humble yourself and talk on any level with anybody. I can care for, and we're losing this in America, I know we are. I can talk to a janitor, Ben, the same way I talk to a CEO of a company. We may use different wording. Because they're talking about bottom line and they're talking about, you know, all kinds of different things, their cost analysis and different things like that for their businesses. But when you talk with somebody, you should have the same respect for them as a human being, no matter what their position is. Amen. And that's what I believe Moses had. He had a meekness to where he talked to people at their level and he never made them feel like he was above them. That is meekness. I will turn aside, he says, when he saw the burning bush and see this thing. There was a component in Moses' heart of meekness and he pursued it. Noah preached for over a hundred years and only won his family. How would you like that? To try to be content with that. We preach for a hundred years and, and this is all who shows up. Say, say that's all in the... Can you be content with that? Some of us are not content with it right now. Why? Because we have a heart that pursues God. I understand that. We should be like that. But in the scriptures, in Hebrews 11, Noah shows up in the hall of fame next to all of these other people who did massive and amazing things for God. They had, they had a level of pursuit that was so much higher, it seemed. But I wouldn't want to come behind Noah in a testimony service, amen? <laughs> We built an ark, God destroyed the earth, family saved. <laughs> awesome. I drove the boat. <laughs> That's why you're here. I wouldn't want to come behind him because I understand that even though he preached repentance for over 100 years, the most important people for him to save were his family. And when you pursue these different things, 
your family becomes very important to you. I don't care what you do in your life. If you don't save your family, you have made the gravest mistake you can make. Because Noah got his place in the hall of fame, not for doing something so amazing, but literally for saving him and his family. Daniel said, I want God more than I want my life. Amen? He pursued God more than he was afraid of a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember those dudes? There was three of them. There's three of them, and they liked to and they liked to worship the Lord. It was so simple. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they feared God more than they feared a fiery furnace. And because they pursued God more than they pursued bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, they they, they have the testimony of having a fourth man in the fire. That is our representation and our understanding of, of how God shows up in the most difficult times in our life. And we reference Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when we say, you might be going through the fire, but Jesus is going to show up. And no matter how difficult, no matter how hard it may be, guess what? When you come out, you won't be touched by it. You'll be changed. You'll be with God and you'll walk with God and he will be there and you you will have known him in a new way than you've ever known him before because you feared God more than you feared the circumstances in the furnace. Esther, what could she do? Just a little Jewish girl. But she chose to pursue God for such a time as this. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Elisha said, I want a double portion. Elijah admitted that's a hard thing. Not for God, Ben. It wasn't hard for God to give him double. It was hard for Elisha to handle double. So we spend time with God literally because it gives us the power to change us so that we can pursue him at the level that our spirit's telling us to pursue him. The power of pursuit comes from the power of the Holy Ghost. And if you spend no time with God, you are literally sentencing yourself to a life of discontent because God pours in to every one of our spirits the things he has designed for us to pursue in life. And if you live your life without the power of the Holy Ghost, you do not have the power to pursue God at the level that he's designed you to pursue him and you will spend your life with an eternal hurricane tearing you apart from the inside because you haven't understood that in the Holy Ghost we are found the strength to conquer sin and to pursue God with everything that is in us because the Holy Ghost always gets to the outside. It always changes us from the inside out. And we cannot be content in God without the power to pursue him. 
We cannot do it on our own. And some of us have tried and have miserably failed at it. And we run back to an altar and we ask God to cover us in his blood. And he's faithful and just to do it. And then he says, are you interested in the plan I have for you? Are you still interested in chasing after the things that I gave for you to chase after? Are you interested in God's pursuits or are you more interested in your pursuits? Because you will find your pursuit ends in emptiness. But if you chase after God and you stay full of the Holy Ghost, there is nothing that can stop you. Nothing. Would you stand with me today? Pursuit got Peter to Cornelius' house. Whenever Peter was opposed, whether he stated it or not, there's a reason why they made him pastor in Jerusalem because he was a preacher to Jews. He believed God was for the Jews. And even though he preached it was for the whole world, he simply had a hang-up. Everyone said a hang-up. Have you ever had a hang-up? You just couldn't quite get over God gave Peter a vision. I used to think that, man, Peter was so spiritual. Look at Peter. He was amazing. God gave him visions from heaven. A, a curtain came down with, with lobster on there and, and pork chops and all this good stuff that kills you. <laughs> And God gave him the vision not once but multiple times because Peter could not get beyond his hand. I thought it was a spiritual thing that he was just privileged to see those visions because he was such a spiritual man. But literally, Peter might have seen the vision of God going to the Gentiles on a roof in Joppa simply because of Cornelius' pursuits. Whose life will be changed because of your pursuit for God? Whose life will be forever altered because you choose to let the power of the Holy Ghost help you to pursue what God chose for you? Are you pursuing these things? Are you pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness? That seems like a tall order, but it really isn't when the Holy Ghost gets involved. It becomes so easy. And somebody in here has been carrying a weight on their life for a long time. You put on a good mask because you want to pursue love and you want to pursue faith and you want to pursue godliness. So when you come to church, you, you look the part. But there's this inner turmoil going on inside of discontent that's been gnawing at you for too long. And you're like, I don't even know if it's worth it. And at some point, maybe maybe you feel like there just is no good that can come of it. But I promise you this, God can make good of all things. If you will surrender to his pursuits, just take one of them. I'm not asking you to take all of them, but would you just pick one out of the list? And for the next week, would you chase after that? 
with everything in you. And I promise you this week, if you do that, just pick one. This is powerful. Pick one. It will change the way you see things. And you will affect things this week. If you just choose patience and say, I'm going to be cheerful in my endurance, you will affect some things that you never even thought you could change. If you just take meekness and say, I'm going to talk to everyone with a kind word. I'm going to be kinder than I think is necessary. God will show you the power of contentment in these six things. Jesus, would you bow your heads with me? Passion leads us in the pursuit of many things. But I'm afraid maybe we've pursued some things in this room, in our hearts, and in our lives that have determined our destinies in some area. I'm asking you to rewrite the book today, if you would. If there's someone dissatisfied with something going on in their life, would you help them to go back to the root of it? Would you help them to fight the good fight today? To learn how to have stickability? That they might lay hold of the salvation that you have for them? Would you help somebody today? Altars open. Would you come pray righteousness and come pray godliness and faith and love into your spirit? Would you come pray patience into your spirit? Would you come and pray meekness? Only you know the situations you're dealing with. I've done my job today, but would you come and receive it? The seed has been sown. Would you become good ground right now? Would you ask God to fill you with the Holy Ghost and fill you up with power so you can pursue Him? So you stop pursuing things that cause death and cause shame and hurt and problems, but you would seek after him. You don't understand, preacher, I'm so broken that I just have times when I make bad mistakes because I'm just so broken. He blesses the broken when we reach for him. He blesses the broken when we reach for him. I've never been able to do what you're talking about. I've never been able to really be content in all my life. In all my situations, I've never been able to say I'm just okay with that. Maybe today we can hear Paul's words that godliness with contentment is great gain. Maybe we can understand that there's more gain in godliness and contentment than any other gain in this life. Help us, O oh Jesus, today. As we reach, would you clean out our hearts? Would you do surgery today? Would you give us godliness and contentment together? In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Come on, let's pray together. Let's seek after him. Let's seek after him. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is going to give us the desires of our heart. If we would just put our desire on him, he'll fill those desires up and it'll be something that satisfies. It does not bring discontentment. It will bring our heart to a place of satisfaction. In Jesus' name.